Today on the show, we're talking about is financial success even possible? Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Trevor, my co-host. And today we're talking about that, that one question that I feel always comes up, is financial success even possible? And I think this is a, a lot of people, they just, again, if you compare yourself to other people and you measure success based on what somebody else has done and they have different resources available to them, they had a different starting point in life. I think you're you're just using the wrong measuring stick. I think you'll know if you succeeded financially in life is if you reach some level of of happiness, contentment. I mean that those are the measuring sticks everyone should be using. But when we say financial success, do you equate success, financial success, and financial independence as synonymous words? Not necessarily. So if you take somebody who worked 30 years grinding it out in a job they just hated, just despised, and it took every fiber of their being to go to work every day to, to just be miserable eight hours a day to amass a huge fortune of wealth so they could retire early in life, just say 55. And then you take somebody else who made minimum wage but worked at a job they loved. I mean, people had to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, it's time to go home now. Otherwise, they'd keep working. If you if you had somebody making minimum wage doing that for 30 years and they worked till they were 65, but they couldn't wait to get up and go to work every day or just say they couldn't wait to get, get up and go to work most days, I would say the person I'm making minimum wage achieved financial success far more than the person who grounded out and amassed a huge amount of wealth at something they just despised. I mean, those are two extremes, but if I had to pick one person, I, I would be, it would be the person making minimum wage doing what they loved. And then taking those two examples, we, I mean, I'm not going to assume that the the individual retiring at 55 is debt free. And I, again, I'm not going to assume that about the minimum wage worker as well. But when we look at these two scenarios, are we equating financial success to uh, both individuals being debt-free at some point in their life. Is that your definition of financial success? Well, as long as you have debt in your life, somebody owns you at some level. And and if somebody owns you and c- controls you at some level, and so the the lender controls the borrower at, at, at some level, they're, they're dictating that you have to provide a stream of income to service a debt. So you are being owned at some level. I would say you're probably missing some contentment or happiness in your life being, you know, somebody's telling you where to be and when to be there at, at some level. So I, I would say debt definitely plays a role in it. So Trevor, I mean, I think it's safe to say, or tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe that we are living in a society, in a world where debt is normalized. I, we talk about that. Debt is normalized. It's okay to have debt. I mean, that's how these uh, corporations are driving us to consume, 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 and 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 consume with with credit cards and, and again the money we don't have. But so so when that is the norm, we get caught up in that norm and in that trap. Uh, I mean, and, and we uh, it seems like there's no way out from maybe the debt we've accumulated. So for many, I mean, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. I haven't acquired any any real debt in my life. So what can we say? What, what can be said to, to that whole mentality, I guess? And when, when maybe after a while, it does feel impossible to achieve financial success, which we are defining as, as being debt-free. Well, I think financial success goes beyond debt-free, but to your point about people taking on debt, I think people have just accepted that car loans are a fact of life. And mortgages are meant to be something that you... That, that last 25 years, 30 years, that that's, that's, that's the expectation going in. This is what society has deemed as normal. And if you, uh, this is an expression I've used before, if you want something nobody else has, and so debt-free is, is something a lot of people don't have or, 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 or don't, can't even envision having. If you want something nobody else has, you're going to have to do something else nobody else does. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to make choices and in, in, in not follow the societal norm 
in an effort to, and I really, being debt-free, so you mentioned debt-free, there's more to financial success or financial utopia than, than, than debt freedom. But in our society, that is a, a big benchmark for me is once you reach that point, then you you regain a lot of ownership of your time, of your peace of mind. You, you get all this back. So there's there's a lot to being debt-free, a lot more than just numbers on a, on a spreadsheet or, or, or numbers on a, in a bank account. So when you say that there is more to financial success than being debt-free, what are those other factors? Well, it's just the peace of mind. It's just... <sighs> So, so those the, those things you're talking about, the peace of mind, the other kind of intangibles, those you would say that that you can't, again, like you said on paper, those you would define as the other factors. The whole thing with with debt is, is once it's out of your life and you don't you don't have any mechanism in your life to repay debt. That there's nothing you, you don't have a a home equity line of credit that you service. You don't have a a car loan, a revolving car loan or a car lease where you just keep re, you know rolling one debt into the next once you're not okay with that and that be that you get those those things out of your budget out of your 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 spreadsheets and and just automatic transfers that that don't exist anymore in your checking account once those things are out reintroducing them seems so foreign so absurd you know that you, you would never go like i haven't had debt in my life for a while and the idea of when I look at something, I remember I used to look at things and say, uh, I can buy that today and I'll, I'll pay it off a month from now. Now, I it literally, if I don't have the money, I don't even entertain the idea of acquiring something. It's just the, the thought is so foreign, but, but you need to be debt free to get to that point. The problem is if you have, if you have debt in your life, a little bit more isn't going to make much of a difference. But if you have no debt in your life, any debt added to your life is this whole new thing that you have to keep track of, that this thing you have to monitor, this thing you have to be responsible for. So uh, again, if you have some a little bit more, it doesn't really change your day-to-day life. But if you have none, adding any debt, it, it has a significant impact on your day-to-day life. So Trevor, I want to turn now to an article by um, by Trent Ham. He's someone we often, very frequently, feature on the podcast. Um, and he authored an article called Financial Success Isn't Impossible. And again, as like this whole in, this topic for today, I think it, it, it serves a very key place because, again, we live in a society where having debt is normalized and, and getting out of debt seems, quote unquote, impossible. Trent Ham in this article to start off, um, to start this article off says, do not, I repeat, do not tell me that financial success is impossible for people under 40. It's not. Do not, I repeat, do not tell me that when you have a high income or a lot of help from mom and dad to be able to make it or get out of debt, it's flat out not true. And and I I agree with that. It's, again, when he's talking about financial success and you keep referring to not being in debt, it, it, there's more to find financial success than 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 not being in debt, and, and you need to figure out what your financial success picture looks like. It's going to be different for everybody. Some people, it's owning a home and never having to pay rent again. That that is their utopia of financial success. They don't want to have to be shelling out money every month to live somewhere. Other people, it, it could be owning a car. You know it, the the bar could be really low and they just want to own outright own a car and some people it's just to meet their monthly bills every month you know they've spent a, the better part of their life always behind on their bills and they just want to be current so I think I would caution everybody never to set the bar too low but you probably need to set you know depending on how desperate your situation is you need to set a realistic goal of financial success but that can be a moving target it can be something that once you reach financial success in your 20s i would hope financial success in your 30s looks differently and again in your 40s and 50s so financial success is going to look different probably every decade of your life but i think you need to define your financial success picture so trevor i at at my age already have something in my mind 
that uh, at the age I am, that that will kind of signify for me financial success. When you were in your 20s, did you have an idea of what financial success would look like for you at, at any point? I didn't. You know, the only thing I had on my sort of radar was things I wanted to acquire. And that that leads to nowhere good. But that is how I, I spent my 20s. Of all, the, all I could see was all the things I didn't have. And I, I look back with regret. I, I, I wish I had a vision or somebody to mentor me with a vision. And let me ask you, what is your picture of financial success? For me, something that has been absolutely monumental in moving me into the point that I am today and being debt-free and, and being able to achieve the financial things I would like to achieve moving forward is the education, my post-secondary education that my parents were able to provide for me um, due to the way they had structured their lives to be able to afford putting me and my siblings through school. They, they purposely structured their life to be able to make that happen. So for me, something, and again, that has been the make it or break it kind of point and, and monumental point in my life that I really, truly appreciate and I'm so grateful for that that being able to provide, um, be able to pay for my children's education, that is truly for me at this point, and I know it will change what I deem as financial success. So that, knowing your age, that is a fairly long distance goal or a, a, a success picture. I would say, I would want uh, visions of success in in nearer time horizons than than that if it were me. I mean, yes and no in terms of I'm not, I don't have any particular particular goals about owning a car or owning a home. I'm a happy renter right now. So there's nothing else that really stands. uh, And I'm very content right now as well. So I mean, as as I do progress in life and, and do kind of experience more things, maybe that will change. But for me, I, I really, there's, there's no other th- monumental uh, thing that has happened to me that encourages me to, to kind of pick another more near idea of what financial success will look like. So I do agree with you, but I, at the same time, I think it takes bigger moments in your life, bigger moments of realization to kind of trigger the setting of uh, a new idea of what financial success looks like. So it's interesting. A lot of people would, they, around financial success, they, they put the acquisition of assets in, in that picture, right? They, they, they put, you know, owning a home. It, it, it's a wealth-building tool without question, but they, or owning a car at a younger person. They, they would equate that to financial success I would say, just in a broad sense, a financial success would be striking a balance between working at something that makes a reasonable amount of money, but I am I can bring passion to every day. So th- those are the kind of things that are going to touch you every day. It is, and, and then having a living a lifestyle that that income. So again, I, I'm not. I'm being challenged at my job, but not stressed out. I'm earning a reasonable income to support the lifestyle that I want. You know, there is a, a picture of financial success I could draw for somebody in a very broad sense. Be, and I mentioned those things in that your lifestyle is where you live, your mode of transportation, your social life. Those are kind of lifestyle things that you need to, to fund with hopefully a, a low stress, high passion job. If I could paint a picture for some for for everybody, I would hope at some level they'd want they'd want something in that spectrum. And again, I I completely agree with that, but I do believe that envisioning that version of financial success really does take introspection to really examine whether you are you are being satisfied at work and that you are being challenged, but not too challenged. So I, I definitely think, I mean, as simple as that point is, it definitely does take a lot of self-examination to, to understand and realize if you are achieving uh, fin- that version of financial success. Most people are going to struggle. You, you would have to, to get there, you'd have to start to break that down. And, and you would start with, is the job I have delivering passion most of the time? And if it's not, what kind of job would and then you would say, well, how much does that job pay? 
And would that support the current lifestyle I have? And I think most people are going to come to the conclusion that it wouldn't. This is where this article we're covering comes into play, is most people are going to come to the conclusion, okay, what I'd really like to do could not support my lifestyle. And the sad thing is most people are not willing to give up their comforts of, of their lifestyle to do their passion. Most people are not, are not willing. And I'm going to say most of my working career, uh, so I, I've entertained changing jobs periodically and with everyone's job, you hit peaks and valleys. So I, I've, I'd like to think that I struck a balance between keeping some of the comforts of my life and not working a job that, that, that I, I despised and I had some passion for. So it's going to be a balancing act. You're never going to find the utopia. And on that very note, I do want to lead into this article that we are talking about today. And Trent Ham kind of leads into a series of points by saying, financial success is not impossible for you. It just requires choices you're not willing to make and probably not willing to even consider. And then he then, which we're going to cover, uh, he goes through some of those hard choices we, uh, we make. So, Trevor, we always talk about this concept of uh, sacrifice and and how we really do not want to sacrifice anything. So in saying this, and, and what I just read there, is that is Trent Ham saying that we should actually make those hard sacrifices? But again, if we make sacrifices, are sacrifices really sustainable? And 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 how do you are you supposed to change your perspective about them? I mean, how do you how do you make those hard choices you don't want to make? Well, you hit it right in the head. If it is in fact a sacrifice you're making, if you're going into deprivation mode to get thing to, to accomplish these goals, it's not going to be sustainable. You're not going to be able to, because you're just going to be miserable. If it in fact is a sacrifice and not a lifestyle change or a, a, an adopting a different mentality of, of how you see the world, if it's just sacrifice, that that has a limit. You can only sacrifice so much before misery takes over and you just can't sustain it. So when we, I mean, we are going to dive into some of these hard choices that are are really prominent, I'm sure within our listeners' lifestyles as well. But Trevor, did, I mean, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we lead into them, but making hard choices, I mean, wh- why? Why would you want to make these hard choices? Like, what are the obvious reasons? Well, it's the upside. It, it's the freedom that you're going to get. Like, like financial success to me is, is nobody owning me, me being the 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 person who decides what I do most of the time. I I don't want like I, I still have to pay bills. I, I need food on the table. I need I need to heat my house. So I st- I still need a job to pay for the those comforts of life or some people would say necessities of life. I, I don't I don't have passive income to cover that yet, but that that is my goal is, is to early in life have passive income. So n- nobody can decide what I do and when I do it. So to me, financial success is is moving control back to me. The more control I have over my life and and ha- what I do and when I do it, it means I've reached greater financial success. So let's dive right into the first hard choice uh, we can make. And that first hard choice is, are you willing to sell off many of your possessions? And so... The funny thing is in our society, I've said this before, it's never been so hard to do less in the history of, of our society than, than it is today. And it just keeps moving and moving in a more in that direction. In fact, ever since we got to this made in China environment where, where consumers' goods are all made in China, very really low cost, the just acquisition of possessions we just buy stuff just because we can and once you accumulate all this stuff this becomes twofold so are we willing to get rid of our our possessions the things we don't need or the things that aren't adding value to our lives are we willing to get rid of those things well those things are part of it is admitting you shouldn't have got it in the first place so you're kind of admitting you made a mistake so now I, i bought this it's a sunk cost. Now I'm going to get rid of it, donate it, sell it at half of what I bought it for. That's a big pill to swallow for a lot of people. And the other one is, is 
it's just the the image. I mean, people might think you're selling stuff because you can't afford. You need the money. You can't afford to have these things. Just say you bought a boat, and and you thought you would be boating every weekend. It turns out you only got it twice this summer. So you put your boat up for sale in the fall. Well, the, the, the image of that could be, oh, I guess he can't afford a boat. You know, thought he was a big shot, bought a boat, and now he's selling it. So, or maybe you bought a motorcycle and, and you never got riding it as much as you thought, and now you're selling it. Well, you're selling it, that boat or that motorcycle for less than you paid for it. And in the it may look like you, on the surface, if, if you even care, that your neighbors might think, oh, he can't, he can't afford this thing. He, it's sort of a, a shaming moment maybe. So if you buy these toys in life and you end up having to sell them, it, sometimes it can be a big pill to swallow. So, so to the point in this thing is if you want financial success and you've made a bad purchases, you have to be willing to admit that and sell these things. Which, which I want to add is, is not as easy said than done. I mean, that, that can be hard to admit to ourselves. Oh, oh, it is. And selling them, there's there's two problems in selling it. Is one is is accepting the loss you're going to take on it and then admitting you you made the mistake in the first place, like admitting it was a bad idea. So so I think it. this is a, this is the first one. I think this is a really hard one to get, get past. But once you, once you admit on the, if once you sell one thing, a significant thing, then it opens the floodgates. You, you, you've all of a sudden, you can sell everything and th- this will stop you from acquiring things or, or it'll make you think twice about it before you make these big purchases on toys and, and, and frivolous things in your life. You will you will rethink. You know, going through your closet and getting rid of clothes, this is a good one. Going through your closet and getting rid of clothes that you've never wore or you maybe wore once, donating it, that has to stop you from wanting to buy clothes without really thinking it through. Oh, for sure. And I want to, I want to mention too, that beyond, I mean, making it hard, getting rid of possessions is hard, but asking yourself why you're still holding on to something, asking yourself those tough questions, that's hard as well. I mean, asking yourself, how much of the stuff do I really use? How much of that stuff will I realistically look at going forward? How much of the stuff that I'm holding on to, if I'm being honest myself, is mostly for sentimental reasons? Or are you holding on to because you're under under the belief that you may use it again someday? I mean, those are hard questions and tough questions to answer. Ask yourself and answer. Do you know that we have a, this secondhand store in the town I live in? It's called Beyond the Blue Box. Blue Box being a recycling container, and it's it's sort of, sort of the stuff be you would don- donate that wouldn't fit in this container. It's kind of a trendy name, but I go into this Beyond the Blue Box. Uh, sometimes I scout around for some deals. But one thing it does for me is I'll see the, I'll call it the junk that has been donated to this place that they're trying to resell. And it just makes me look at it and say, you know, a lot of times I'll say, wow, I was thinking of buying a a Blu-ray player, you know, five years ago, and there's a stack of them here that nobody wants. Boy, I'm glad I didn't buy one of those. Or I'll see a, a surround sound system. And there's literally stacks of these surround sound systems. And I'll say, wow, glad I didn't buy one of those. The other thing this thing is full of is treadmills. There is just this barn full of treadmills. I can't believe in the little town I live in, there's that many people that bought treadmills, didn't use them, and donated them to this place. So the, 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 the stuff that piles up in books, there is books there that have never been read. They have never been opened. The spine has never been cracked. And there's just stacks of them. And this is stuff people have bought, never used, and got rid of. And I don't know if this changed their behavior or it just freed up space to buy more stuff. So you're saying that you, on, on top of exploring um, used used uh, businesses and, and what they what they have, you also kind of explore, but maybe before you purchase things, to kind of reaffirm that, uh, other people are kind of disposing of them, so you might as well in the f- in the future as well. Yeah, I, I look at this and say I don't want my purchase to end up here. You know, if I keep buying appliances that do obscure things for my kitchen that I might use once and, and, then, and then take care to get rid of, I, I don't want my money to 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 flow that way. I, I don't want to be part of that vicious circle. 
So I, I, I think to ultimately wrap up this point, what makes this point hard and, and what Trent Ham mentions in this point is that the kind of motivator and the underlying factor sometimes behind doing this is that it can uh, create revenue at times that you can put towards your debts or put towards something else. So, I mean, how... I mean, should should this point to go with Trent Ham's point here? Should it should selling off your possessions and getting rid of them? Should you be looking making these hard choices to simply lighten yourself up, or or making them to kind of put towards your debt, or what should what should be kind of the why should this point be hard in your mind, Trevor? Well, I think if you end up getting uh, good money for your the, the the bad purchases you made and for the junk you bought that you no longer need, if you end up recouping a lot of money for it. I think it just reinforces that maybe this wasn't a bad idea. So I, I think it's even better if you if you can't sell this stuff and you have to get rid of it. I think that is the kind of thing that's going to change the behavior going forward is is paying the ultimate price in, in, in losing your money and seeing this stuff go to landfill or, or, or a donation center for nothing. That's to me, that's the eye opener. That's going to that's going to move the needle and change your behavior. So you don't you don't keep doing this. But if you're able to sell this stuff and get a real good, you know, recoup a lot of your money, I, I think it just reinforces that you go buy, buy more of this stuff and, and, and maybe you don't get as lucky the next time around. So let's move on to this next point and the second uh, kind of hard choice that we make. And I really, really like this point. Uh, the, second, the second hard choice is, are you willing to commit to genuinely seeking and enjoying free or ultra low cost entertainment? And this one... The, the big point in this is ultimately enjoying. Again, if, if you're not enjoying this, it, it, it looks like sacrifice and you're going to be miserable. So it's really learning to enjoy this. And one of the hardest parts of, of doing this is when your friends call up and say, hey, do you want to go out to a show or out for dinner? And it, it's saying no there first. And, and that's uncomfortable. You know, I... and. The, the best way to say no is say, you know what, I can't afford it. Because if you say no and you don't give a reason that you might, your friends might think you don't want to spend time with them or you're offending them, the important thing is saying, I can't afford it. That Once you utter those words and you get them out and it's really hard the first time, but you just say, it's not in my budget, I can't afford it. Most people will respect that. Nobody's going to judge you. In fact, they might admire you that you have a budget and that you're managing your money. So, so saying those words the first time to your friends can be really awkward. It, it, it's just, it, it's a, it's a, it's a line you have to cross a threshold you have to get past. And, and then you're going to have to go, you're going to throw a period where you think you're missing out because you know, your friends went out for dinner or they went to the show and you're not. So that that's going to be this, this FOMO you're missing out on something and you got to get past that. So that that's an, another threshold and that takes a long time to get past. And then seeking out and find something that you actually thoroughly enjoy that doesn't cost much or anything, that is easier than you think. So Trevor, before we expand on the easier than you think low-cost activities, I want to circle back to uh, telling your friends that you can't afford it, that it's not in your budget. And I kind of, I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but like you said, that never, that point never gets easier. And and. Uh, what I find and, and it, tell me tell me if you find the same thing but when you receive and I, I have received kind of some negative some friction towards saying this and I think in hindsight it is like you said a little bit of kind of maybe uh, not envy because that's a negative word but a little bit of maybe admiration that you do uh, you have a budget in place that you have your finances tracked that you're able to confident not confidently but you're able to say that and that uh, this individual maybe wishes they had or wish they could do the same or be in the same place or, or admiration to want to start to be in that place. And they might, but they, they might not share your picture of financial success. So if they don't Great understand, point. that's a phenomenal it, point it, it is their picture of financial success is different than yours. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's nobody has, you just have two different pictures of financial success. So mine is, Nobody owns me. I, my time is mine. I, I don't. I don't want to be a slave to the lender. And somebody else, they might, and maybe somebody else is just say they're making great money, doing something they're extremely passionate about. 
you that that does exist out there and just say you're making uh, minimum wage as something you're really passionate about well you're both really passionate and happy at your work one just has more disposable income than the other so in order to to go out with this person you're going to have to obviously earn more money to to afford the entertainment they want to do and then you might be working at something you're not passionate about so all of a sudden you moved away from your financial success picture and that's that's an absolutely phenomenal point i think you hit the nail on the head right there with that example and i want to go to the point of so the hard part is is finding low-cost entertainment that you're going to enjoy and the way to do that is in this actually ends up feeding itself is a good place to go where, where people are gathering who don't want to spend a lot of money on entertainment is your local library and there's a lot of events going on at your library that they do more than just loan out books and you go there to book clubs well it doesn't cost much to join a book club. You just just say you can't get the book from your library, and you actually, if it's a book club, chances are you can't. You got to buy one book, and it might take you a month to read it, and then you you spend time at a book club. There's other things that go on at, at my library that that I've attended, and again, they're always free because it's it's what the library is about. There's a a lot of clubs you can join, like the Rotary Club. Again, it's free. It's entertaining. You're with a bunch of people. They're actually raising money for good causes. There's so many. You just have to seek them out. But once you find one, once you find one that that, that is a, a low cost or free source of entertainment, you're going to find other people there who are who belong to other organizations or have found other low cost entertainment. And once you get in that that circle, you just start. It's like low cost or free entertainment is falling from the sky. There's there's so many things you learn about that you didn't know. For instance, the, this is the um, 100th anniversary of the armistice of World War One, And in my town, there is three months of activities going on, guest speakers, author speakers. I, I went to a play the other night. All these things were really low cost or free, and they're all about something I'm really interested about was the history of World War One. I. I, I've always been fascinated by it. And I couldn't believe that the free things going on in my little town regarding a topic that I'm passionately interested about. And I found that by going to one thing in, in at, at that event, they announced some other things that were going on. And like I say, it just feeds itself. And, and in that same thought pattern, I think keeping your ears and keeping your ears open for those opportunities, when you open yourself up to um, free or low cost activities, that's when you start savoring them and appreciating them and really wanting to engage with those opportunities. And you end up surrounding yourself with like-minded people. These are people who also are always seeking out low cost or free entertainment. And, and you surround yourself with those people. And before you know it, you've not that you were searching for a new circle of friends, but you, you have another s- network and s- circle of friends who who are constantly seeking out in in wanting the same thing you do, which makes life a lot easier. So Trevor, let's skip on to the third hard choice that we make. And this one, I think, is one that maybe we can all relate to. And it's, are you willing to utterly stop eating out, period, for quite a long while and make your own food at home? So this one is, a lot of people use food as a a vehicle of entertainment. And the one thing food is, is as humans, we all need to eat and we tend to all eat in the same time frequency, breakfast, lunch, dinner. And so it's one of those things you can always, you can invite anybody to a meal. You, you can, because everybody has to eat. Now, wait, some of us are vegetarians and vegans and meat eaters. So there's some differences there, but generally speaking, we all need to eat. So it's this common interest we all have as humans. Some people, they're into art. Some people are into sports, but everyone's into eating. We need to eat to survive. So this is this common interest. You can get men, women, old, young. The The key to this one is, and, and you you may have to be the lead on this, is suggest, and this, is a, this works great in almost any environment, is invite your friends over to make homemade pizzas. This is a, there's nobody who doesn't like a homemade pizza. The ingredients for making homemade pizza. Everyone can sort of participate, make their own, you bake them in the oven. It's just a lot of fun. And so this is an example of how you can, 
this is one where you don't have to change friends. I mean, you, you can convince your friends to do this. And, and once one person does it and everyone enjoys it, 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 it just, the next person hosts it and so on. So this can be a lot of fun. It can include kids, adults, but eating out is outrageously expensive. And if you are going to eat out, if, if it's just something that you want to do, make sure you're not eating out for hunger. If you are hungry and you're going to a restaurant, you have, that's a big fail right there. And you can do a bit of both. Like you could go out every now and then every, I don't know, depending on your picture of financial success, once a month, once every three months, you could go with a group of friends for a nice meal somewhere, but make sure it's, it's not because you're hungry. Make sure it's because you want the social ambience of gathering with friends. So the couple of things I want to add to this. Um, and I just want to say, and this one is really hard. Again, if someone's invited you out to eat at a very expensive restaurant, this is one it's really hard to say, I can't afford it. This one is, is really hard to crush that threshold because it's, it's almost like I can't afford to eat. You know, that they, they could be interpreted that way, said, said to the wrong person. So this one, again, it's what you have to cross that threshold saying, I can't afford it, but it's uncomfortable the first time, but after that, it's real easy. So to extend off what you just said there, in my budget, I have uh, discretionary and mandatory expenses. Uh, I've, I've talked about kind of my budget before in the podcast, but in my discretionary, there is an entertainment uh, subcategory and a eating out category. And then uh, then I also have my, obviously, my grocery budget under my mandatory expenses. But going back to discretionary, eating out and entertainment. So when I'm talking about entertainment, I recently I recently went out uh, for drinks with coworkers. It was um, one of my uh, coworkers' uh, last day. So we were just, you know, again, celebrating and, and saying goodbye. Um, and so this whole night and, and the, the drinks that were rather expensive went under entertainment. And that was okay. I, I knew and accepted that, that that night would be expensive and I was prepared for it. And again, categorized under entertainment. But my heart cries and, and I cringe when I had to categorize things under eating out. And again, I, I do fall flat-footed sometimes, again, due to completely ill planning. And when and eating out, I categorize everything from coffee to actual food. Everything that I didn't and I should have prepared at home goes, goes under eating out. And I think this is a constant reminder when entering my budget of my how I can prove and, and make sure this doesn't happen again moving forward. You, you said anything that you could have prepared at home. Now, you're going out with friends, coworkers last day. Could you have, in fact, invited them to your place? Like, is, is that, would that have been socially acceptable? Is that something you would have done? I'm going to say probably not uh, under the circumstances. Yes, I agree with that. So, so to me, that, that is not eating out. Eating out is, to, in my mind, is I'm hungry and I'm not at home. Therefore, I'm buying food. Yes, that and, is, and, that's this poor planning. You, you know, you 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 know you're going to get hungry at lunchtime, and you but you yet you plan to be away from home at lunchtime and still didn't pack a lunch. To me, yes. that's eating out. Poor planning. That's something that could have been avoided. But yeah, I I, and I, I do want to I do and I meant to add in that the eating at category. I want to say ninety nine percent of the times the category the expenses that go under there happen when I'm by myself, and that means while whether I'm at work or. And mostly when I'm at work and I, I just, I didn't, I ill planned. I was running out the door and I, I didn't pack, I didn't stop to pack or I didn't wake up early enough or, or pack lunch at night. And it's just, just again, things that were easily preventable. But the, so this article is about, you know, you can get financial success if you're willing to make tough choices. And so I think the point of this one is if you can commit to never eating out for any reason whatsoever. So just say you're in financial debt. You're in deep and you're trying to get out of debt. I think a great commitment to make is I'm never going to eat out drinks, anything until this mess is cleaned up. And that, that is an example. And what's going to happen is if just say it took you two years to, to get out of this horrible debt situation that you might be in. And one of the tools used to get out of debt was to never eat out under any circumstances for two years if you did that. After the two years, 
when, when you see the headway you were able to make by not spending money in restaurants, chances are you would be grudging. Like you've, you've formed a habit. You've formed, you've seen the benefits. The chances of you going back into eating out constantly and spending huge amounts of money at restaurants is highly unlikely. So I think that's why this is here is, is, is long-term I'm not eating out and it's to fix a problem. It's maybe to correct a behavior, but in eating restaurants, it usually involves using credit card. And if you're careless with credit cards in a restaurant, you might be careless with a credit card somewhere else. So there's a whole bunch of things that fall into, into play when I think if you can avoid eating out this, the, the money savings, like food in restaurants is marked up so much. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying it's, it's justified or not, but it's not a premium that you should be willing to pay openly. And to any listener right now who's saying, but Trevor, but Courtney, never eating out for two years. And I think to that, the response is yes. When we went into these, 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 these reasons, these choices, they weren't easy choices. They were hard choices. And, and how final and certain and, and really cut and dry these, these are, they, they are meant to be hard choices that you make that you're committed to. And remember, this is to get to your picture of financial success, assuming you're not there now. Is this, is this an easy change to, to, to get to financial success, to, to reach some sort of plateau that you want to achieve? I'm saying, yes, this is an easy one. So let's move on to the next hard choice or hard, tough decision we can make. And this is, are you willing to live in a dirt cheap, tiny apartment with a roommate or two? So I think this would depend on your age. I'm not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's been a while, right? So I'm not likely to go back there. But I, I think the point here is, are you willing to... Uh, let's go to home ownership. So a, a fancy home, a lot of home improvements, if, if you new kitchens, new bathrooms, these are all lifestyle costs. And people write them off as an investment in my home. I put in a $40,000 kitchen Therefore, my house is worth $40,000 more, but you have to shell out $40,000 to get there. You, you're no better off. Financially, you've gained nothing. So that's just an example of how I think you should be willing. Know when you do these fancy home improvements that is a lifestyle expense. It is not an investment. It is, I mean, there's things you need to do just to maintain the value of your home, but to increase the value of your home costs money and, and We've done a show on this. I mean, if you put in a $40,000 kitchen today and you sell your house three years from now, that kitchen's not worth $40,000 anymore. It's devalued because you've used that kitchen. And that represents lifestyle expense. So I don't, I think if you want to get to a financial success picture, and if that picture doesn't include a whole bunch of home improvements if, if that, and, and all borrowing money to do it on a home equity line of credit. I'm sure most people, if they were to give you a, a picture of financial success, it, it would not include a huge home equity line of credit. So assuming you don't want that, you should learn to, to enjoy your home the way it is with, without the improvements, just pure maintenance. Just, you know, Okay, I'm not knocking granite countertops, but they're expensive. Granite countertops, you can prepare a meal just as well on laminate countertops. I mean, the food tastes the same. So just just know why you're, why you're if you're living in a very fancy home, apartment, condo, whatever, just know why you're doing it. And I, I'm willing to, to not live fancy in that it doesn't fit into my picture of financial success so the next hard choice uh, that we're asking if you're willing to make is are you willing to bust your rear end doing side gigs and not using any of that money for entertainment or hobbies and so in this one i'm saying no i'm not and i'm i'm only willing so i'm only willing to do a side gig if it's if it's if it's a passion if it's something in fact it needs to be a hobby or an interest um, and if I'm able to monetize that, not, and a lot of times that sucks the fun out of whatever it is you're doing, but if somehow I was able to monetize it, for instance, we don't monetize this podcast at all, but we love doing it. 
And we, we show up every week because we just enjoy the topics and, and, and the conversation. I, I'm not interested in monetizing this anytime soon. It, it's not even on our radar. We've been approached actually about monetizing it and just we're not interested. Uh, I have some other hobbies I do. I, I do a bit of furniture making. I, I've been offered a commission to make things for people and I've turned that down. I, I don't want to be on the clock making someone's furniture and and then them giving me money and, and, and maybe they're happy with the, pro- with the finished product or they're not. So I'm not interested in going in that world. It would just suck the fun out of the hobby. So I, I think it's, you can't, you can't work eight hours a day and then work another four hours or two or three hours at a side gig. That's just not going to be sustainable in the long run. I guess if this if this is a short-term thing to get you out of a financial mess that you've created, then maybe I, I would support I, I could support it in a short window of time. You know when it's going to end. It's not this indefinite. So only then, and it would be to not not to get ahead, but to get out of a hole. Then then I could support this. The next hard choice on this on Trenham's list is: Are you willing to drive a dirt cheap, very used car to get to work, or use only mass transit if it's available? So the funny thing in our society is we tend to people tend to think they're they're six they their car defines who they are, their houses define who they are, and, and these things we seem to think these things define where we fit on the social economic ladder in life. And a car, they're now financing cars and trucks over eight years. And with the the invention of leasing of cars, you can get into a pretty high-end car for a relatively affordable payment. The problem is, you, you, by the time you're done paying for it, you're, you're going to start paying for your next car. So you've just got this constant revolving car, car debt. It never goes away. So I look at, really fancy cars and I see fairly young people driving them. I, if, if a car is your thing, if you're a car guy and, and that's where you, you get a lot of joy out of if car and a lot of people do, that's fine. That's your thing. Just make, make that part of your success, your, your, your vision of success. But chances are a, a really fancy house is not part of that same picture of success. I mean, you, you can't have it all. You can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. For me, a car is transportation. It, it has to get me from here to here, A to B. And if it does that without breaking down or, or de- you know, causing unnecessary delays in my trip, it, it served its purpose. And I'm actually, I'm at the point, so I've got a 14-year-old car and a 12-year-old car. And there was a point where those, when those things were around eight, nine years old, people would ask me, you know, are you looking at getting a new car? And they were kind of suggesting my cars are old. And now when they've reached this age, nobody asks me anymore <laughs> if I'm getting a new car. I wear these cars as a badge of honor now. I, I, I love that I have a 14-year-old car. It, I don't have to you know, search for it in the parking lot because there's no other cars at all in the parking <laughs> lot. I, I can find it real easy. And I don't have to worry about it getting scratched. I mean, I, I find this super carefree. And I, I do want to add though, and your cars, they're, they're not by any means uh, like rust buckets rolling down the road either. They just, they're, they're impeccably in impeccable condition as well. So I just, I just want to kind of add that in there to kind of break the stereotype of old cars as well. Oh no, they're well-maintained. I get them uh, rust checked every year. So there's no rust or anything on them, but I, I just wear them as a badge of honor at this point. So to this one, this is, and, and you know, cars are something. If you get cars wrong, you get to get it wrong every five or six years. When however often you buy a car, you get to screw that up over and over and over, and, and that just starts stacking up behind you as bad decision after bad decision. Everyone knows my position on used cars, and and you can buy, you can save so much money on cars. And so, if you are in a financial mess and you're trying to reach for success, this is a big ticket item. I would look here first and say, you know. Is this car in the way of my financial success? Is 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 my car buying habits getting in the way of where I want to be? And I think for a lot of people, it it is. People tend to drive way more car than they need. I see. <laughs> I'm gonna go on a truck rant because that's what I do. <laughs> I see these four door pickup trucks, which are 
fairly expensive driving around like a car. And I say it's like a car because it's got this tunnel cover over it. So I know nothing's in the back and it's, it's got a, a whole family inside it, you know, a mother, father, kids, and it's at Walmart. Well, there's nothing at Walmart. You need, there isn't a lot of things at Walmart that you need to put in the back of your truck. So the, a, a truck, I always, I believe a truck is, is if you have a truck and you make money with it, like you're in a landscaping business or a contracting business and you need a truck, all the power to you. You should have a truck. Maybe you should have two. But if you're driving a truck where a lower cost car could have met that need and you're not achieving your picture of financial success, that, that, that vehicle purchasing decision is in your way of success. So I want to go back now to the, your first point that you made to lead off this, uh, this, this point Rant. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are your thoughts on uh, used cars? Which, oh, by the way, the jury is still out and how you feel about them. And to, I guess, kick you off your soapbox for a little bit here. Uh, I, I don't, you, you said that society believes that, uh, like, home we own and the car that we drive define us. And, and you said, you said you disagreed with that. And I, I want to go back and say, no, I wholeheartedly agreed that the car we drive or don't choose to drive and the home that we own or the, the the place we choose to rent it wholeheartedly does define who we are i mean if you're that person who's taking public trans transportation trevor if you're that person driving that 14 year old car if you're that person renting a home and and putting the rest of the that money into an investment instead that defines you. That says so much about you. And and Trevor, to your point, you are proud to be that person. You are proud to be defined as that the only person at your work. I'm sure that is driving a 14 year old car to work. See, I I don't, but I don't want what what I drive or where I live to define me. I, I want people to to know me as a person, not as as the guy in that BMW. Sorry to all BMW drivers. <laughs> Or that Audi, I I don't want to I don't want to be, I don't want people to refer to me as that, like I don't want people to know me by what I drive or where I live. But I think this is a lot about you. I think this is a lot about you though. That says that you're you're confident enough to 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 live your lifestyle. You're you're. It says that maybe you're financially free or maybe you're not. Maybe people don't even know. But I think that says your decisions say a lot about you. Whether it defines you or not, it says a lot about you. So I think, again, the big things that we do, the car, the home, or the lack thereof, that says a lot about you. And before we even uh, move on from this point, I do want to add in, and this goes oh, back oh, to... Wait, oh, wait, I wanted to say one more thing about this one. So about the trucks? <laughs> yeah, not, not the trucks, but, but some of these d- these decisions, we, we said that it's really hard to just cross that threshold to make that decision that, that you know, I'm not going to go out to eat or uh, I'm going to sell my possessions. You know, that that's a... That's uncomfortable. That it, it, and you really have to work your courage up to cross that threshold. To drive an older car is is not. This one's easy. You just have to let it get old, and it gets old slowly. And it does. This one doesn't hurt near as much. This one, it just kind of settles in. So this one, it, it it doesn't take a a catastrophic event in your life to decide to do this. You just this one actually is driven off of inaction. This is not doing something. It, it means not shopping for a new car. It means just keep driving your car. So this one should be easy for most people. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I do, again, want to throw in, there is that sense of when you consciously, if, if you're used to buying, going out and buying the new car and you all of a sudden don't at a certain period, I feel like there that could be hard for some individuals to to not take that action, to take that inaction, to... to sit back and let their car get old while maintaining it because they have never done that before. And that could be maybe a, a big, a big step. I do want to add in though, before we skip on to the next point that I think a lot of these maybe are subconscious things that we could practice. I mean, I didn't realize, but I, I like, I love taking the public transportation in my city. It's incredible. It's, it's an incredible system in general, but I love taking it because I guess subconsciously, I, I think this resonates with me that I didn't realize it was contributing to my financial success. I realized that owning a car 
uh, would mean taking on a car loan or, or, or debt. And, and that's not something I am willing to do. So uh, in, in all these points, while you're listening to this and, and maybe after listening to this podcast, you're going to think about all the other aspects of your life that maybe you do subconsciously that you don't realize are a part of your financial success and how you define yourself in that financial success. So the next point and the next tough choice that we can ask ourselves if we're willing to make is, are you willing to shop for your clothes and small appliances at uh, secondhand stores? So this one is a real hard threshold to cross for a lot of people. And it was for me. And if anyone's heard of, so in Ontario, I don't know if they're across Canada or not, we have a, a chain of stores called Value Village. And this is a used clothing store. They sell some other hardware and stuff, but it's primarily clothes. And to walk into one of those stores, you, I remember the first time I walked into one, I said, what, what am I doing here? And I was shopping for clothes, but I, I just felt awkward. And I was very self-conscious and I was looking around if there's anybody I knew. And it was a horrible experience my first time. But I ended up finding some really high quality used clothes. And I left, I got home, I wore them. And I I was hooked, and I I haven't bought a new sweater or T-shirt or or the only thing I can't seem to find there is jeans. But I'm every, the same every, way. I'm the exact same way, and I I think I have I don't to know like. If, I don't feel as aware, but I bought a suit there, <laughs> thirty thirty five dollar suit that had never been worn, and it is just I have had so many confidence on this suit. No, are, are, no to our most listeners, of them are please. forced. Most of them are forced out of people, but I've had a I've, I've had a lot of compliments. Any listener who's like, "Oh, tell us more about this. How the suit?" No, just just hold your questions, hold your questions, and uh, just go back and listen to any other episode. But now, when I when I go to Value Village and I walk out of the store, I am just like pumped, like because I know the deals I found. Like, start the car. I think we've <laughs> robbed this place, and I, I I just I get so invigorated. And when I leave a, a if if I do have to buy clothes in a normal retail establishment i kind of leave there feeling like I, i've got taken you know i can't believe i paid you know 30 bucks for whatever it is and and they threw tax on that and I, I just feel like i got robbed and when i buy something at value village i i feel like i, I and here's something else so i mentioned this beyond the blue box it was this secondhand store in my town i was in there just browsing and uh i think i was looking at the books and I found a desk lamp. I'm looking at it right now. This is a desk lamp. It still had the tags on it. I got it for three bucks. This would have been a $30 lamp at, at even Walmart. And I, I've been going on about this lamp to my wife for probably two weeks. <laughs> She's had enough. But I, I just, I get so pumped when I get a deal. Like when I get something for next to nothing that I needed. It Keyword is so that you in- needed. I like that you yeah. put that in, that you needed. It is so invigorating. And, and, and if anyone's had um, per- post-purchase remorse where you bought something and then you get home and you start second-guessing yourself and wondering, do I even need this? Did I pay too much for it? And all these rational, these things race through your mind. Well, when you buy stuff secondhand, you, there's none of that. I mean, you got such a deal, you don't even give it a second thought. So crossing this threshold, this, this may be the hardest one. And then, uh, you know, with the clothes, people say, oh, that's a nice top. Where did you get it? Well, I tell people, hey, I got this at Value Village, just like everything else I'm wearing, you know. And it, and I, I, the first time you say that, it's kind of awkward. And but once people know that, that that's what you do, I, I feel no judgment anymore. In fact, people will say if I'm wearing something new, they say, "Wow, did you get that at Value Village?" Like they're they're impressed. They're saying that that thing looks great. So I'm a. Uh, this is a threshold. It took me a while to get past this one. It, it, it does fit my picture of financial success. I, I, I save a ton of money buying clothes secondhand. And, um, but again, if, if this is deprivation and if you hate this and you're embarrassed and ashamed of it, this is maybe not a, uh, an avenue for you, right? It has to be something you embrace. And for me, going back to the clothes example and, and the jeans, actually, I, I do buy my jeans, um, as it sounds like you do, Trevor, at, um, you buy them new uh, from from wherever you prefer your jeans from. But I, I got mine from American Eagle. It's kind of where I go to. And it's always this like refresher or refreshment, overwhelmingly refreshed when I go in there specifically for my jeans, when I need them, when I've 
when my old ones have ran their life and I look around me at all the other uh, clothing and the tops mostly and sweaters and just other things that I always go to Valley Village for myself and and I, I'm just kind of, uh, it's, it's a nice kind of looking at the price tags and, and comparing what I buy to what I buy at Value Village. And it's, I think kind of moments like those that kind of just remind you walking in, just reminding yourself um, of, of, of kind of the savings that you are receiving when you do a shop secondhand. So the last hard choice we're going to discuss from Trent Ham's article is, are you willing to use things until they break rather than just replacing them when a cool new version comes along? So this wouldn't be a complete episode if I didn't mention an iPhone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Don't worry. Our listeners are waiting for it. This is the best example. When, when the new iPhone is released, I can't believe all the iPhones that stop working every September. I mean, they just come to a, a complete halt. They just turn into bricks and they no longer work. And so these people get in line to buy the latest phone. I I, I can't, and, and at a, a huge cost like this isn't just uh, on a whim this is a lot of money to lay out and i'm a firm believer that you when you buy something if you are deliberate about about buying something that is going to add value that you need in your life then you should be willing to use that thing until its functional utility is no longer being delivered meaning it doesn't your phone no longer places phone calls or it no longer sends text messages it no longer connects to the internet. That's that's when you're, or it won't hold the charge for most people. That is when you need to move on to a new phone. And when you make that next purchase, you should be buying something that either meets your minimum functional utility requirements or, or just above that would probably be a better approach. But using things until they break, this, the number of people that upgrade kitchen appliances people I personally know that have upgraded personal appliances purely based on the color of the appliance, not the fact that the fridge still keeps stuff cold, the oven still cooks food, is just the wrong color. The people that buy new appliances for cosmetic reasons, and the cost of appliances is outrageous, is mind-blowing. And, you know, a lot of times, this I know somebody who recently bought a new fridge, and they bought it because they won't admit it, but they bought it because of the cosmetic, the color of it was wrong. And to justify it, they, they got one that had an water and ice dispenser in the door, suggesting that, you know, their life would, wasn't complete because they're, they had to actually open the fridge door to get their water. So they upgraded the fridge and the justification they were selling to anybody who was listening is it, it they needed this water dispenser. So, but yet it, it it, it, I know they did it to, I, I think they did it to, for the cosmetics in the, the color wasn't going with the rest of the appliances in their kitchen. So that, that's a, that's an example of, of the appliance was meeting the basic functional utility, but, but people, this person upgraded it. Phones is a great example. Uh, cars are, yeah, I mean, you could extend this to all, all aspects of, of everything you buy. It, it, you should be willing to use it until it breaks, unless this thing breaking uh, dramatically impacts your life. So a, a good example is, say, an, a furnace, the furnace in your house. You, If you have a, a hint that this furnace might not make it through the winter, but it's still working, I would not wait till it actually stopped working to replace it. Two problems. One is you're going to end up with a house that you might not be able to live in, and you might end up paying a huge premium because you need this thing like yesterday. So th- there's an example. And I guess with a car, if you rely on a car to get to work every day, you can't wait till it actually stops working. W- once it's sort of on its last legs and it's maybe 15 years old instead of 14 years old, I don't know, you might say, okay, I, I need to upgrade this car. It's becoming unreliable. So maybe a better approach would be use things until they become unreliable. And, and like a phone it won't hold a charge. It's unreliable. So there's an example. So but you have to be willing to do that. And again, this is one where it's it's a difficult thing. If you're this guy who always got the latest phone or always has a new car or always has the latest appliances that all match, and all of a sudden you got this hunter green fridge in your kitchen and everything else is stainless steel, it, you you have to get past that. You, you, you can't hate that. You have to 
you have to to know that these these purchasing decisions are in the way of your finance your picture of financial success so if if your financial success is more important than the things in the way of it then this will be an easy decision so Trevor, that brings us to the end of a majority of these tough decisions mentioned within Trentham's article, which is uh, from the simpledollar.com. We'll have the article in the show notes for anyone who wants to kind of go through it and peruse it and, and really, really evaluate these tough decisions. So Trevor, I, I will ask you for your final thoughts, but right before that, I, I just want to ask, so yes, these decisions, I mean, some of them sound maybe near impossible. So maybe some of our listeners who haven't quite considered or engaged with any of these, 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 these choices before, but if, if you are committed or, or want whatever your version of financial success is enough, are these decisions ever going to become less challenging or less hard to face or will they just become more bearable? Well, this was going to be my final thought, but it really fits your question well. There's an expression, and I, I wish I could give credit to whoever I heard it from, but if you spend your life making easy decisions, meaning you're never you're never faced with a tough decision in life, then you're going to end up with a pretty challenging life that you're going to live. But if you're always making the tough decisions, if you're making them frequently, you're always making tough decisions, meaning you have to decide between this or this, then you're going to have a pretty easy life. I absolutely love that. And that rings so true. On that note, that brings us to the very end of today's episode. And to everyone listening today, what is your definition of financial success? We'd love to explore how you define financial success because I we believe it is truly independent to, to each and every, every, everyone listening today. Thank you so much for being here with us on another episode of Simple Money Solutions. We can't wait to have you back here with us next week. And until then... Keep it simple.